You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. I have the great privilege of preaching once again to you, my brothers and sisters, and it is a privilege. Uh, pray the Holy Spirit brings with power. Uh, what I'm going to say this morning, I recognized since January, uh, we've had the children with us uh, as we started gathering again, I guess a couple, a month or so ago. But uh, when we came back for church, we had the children with us, and now uh, this is my first time preaching uh, for several months, and I noticed that they take the children out of here. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> Um, so y'all are either uh, uh, really, really uh, kind and gracious, or I'm pretty scary. I'm not sure which one that is. Uh, today we're going to be uh, continuing in First John. We'll be in chapter 2. We'll be in verses 1 through 6. And the title of my message this morning is, Knowledge of the Gospel Compels Believers to Be in Fellowship and Practice Holiness. Knowledge of the Gospel Compels Believers to Be in Fellowship and and practice holiness. Uh, Let's do a little review before I dive into chapter two. Um, John wrote this this letter as he wrote the Gospel of John and a couple other letters and uh, the book of Revelation. Um, He was probably very, very advanced in years, probably in his 90s. Um, This letter could have been written in the late first century. Um, I think all of the apostles had been martyred. They had died, and he was like, most likely the last remaining apostle. Uh, he was very credible, as you would understand, and we see that in the, the first chapter of John where he talked about walking with Jesus. Uh, there's reports that John was so old when he was sharing the gospel and teaching that they would carry him in, and they'd sit him down, and he would teach. And when he was finished, they would pick him up, and they would carry him back out. So this is a man who had huge credibility, obviously, because he walked with Jesus. And he does say to us uh, in the beginning of this letter what he has seen, what he has touched, his eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. He laid on Jesus' bosom. Uh, So he was writing this letter as a spiritual father. He actually uses the, the, the words, my little children. Uh, which is a loving, loving way to address believers. I don't think in my 2003, 15 years almost of salvation, I've ever addressed y'all as my little children. So maybe it's coming as I reach 90. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, So he was highly respected. And a letter received by John would have been highly treasured. Uh, So let's review a little bit in chapter one of what Mark went over uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, Let's read uh, John 1, verses 1 through 5 together. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that's Jesus, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light and in him him there is no darkness 
at all. So Mark taught last week that God was, uh, God was light, Jesus was light, and if we are in the light, we should have fellowship with him and through that have fellowship with each other. And if we walk in the light, uh, uh, we, we example Jesus as we go. And this is the point of the second part of the letter here that John, J- John writes. Uh, if we walk in darkness and don't practice truth and say we have no sin, we are liars, we're deceivers, the truth is not in us, and we make God a liar. All scripture is uh, breathed out by God it, through the Holy Spirit and the writers. Uh, they put down on paper what the Holy Spirit uh, in their hearts, give them to write. And God, through his Holy Spirit, and Paul wrote to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed. So if it's God-breathed, it has to be true. And in in God's word, it says all all are sinners. We all all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if we say we don't have sin, that we're kind of okay, we make God a liar. And that is a blasphemous thing to say. Uh, There was a belief in that day that John, uh, in John's time, that there was uh, some, some good or there was all good in your spirit and soul, but the, the bad things were in your body and in material. So this was called Gnosticism, and what you did in your body really didn't matter because your soul and your spirit was good. And this caused a, a huge problem in the culture, and John was addressing this to the church because it was leaking into the church there, and some people were thinking, well, if my soul and my spirit are good, you know, my behavior really doesn't matter a whole lot in what I do. And John was putting a stop to that in what he was saying here, uh, that Jesus had, he had walked with Jesus, and God, Jesus was fully man, he was fully God, and that his body was sinless uh, in, in, in his sacrifice. So... Um, we have that kind of thing today, you know, where we say, well, I'm not so bad. This is the way I grew up in, in my faith. Uh, I'm pretty good. I, I do some good things. God cannot be angry with me. He's a God of love. Uh, you don't, just don't know my situation. You don't know my wife or you don't know my husband, my kids, my addictions. Uh, God knows my heart. I believe in him. So he'll accept these things. No, it doesn't work that way. Scripture's clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a savior. There's also kind of the other side where we believe Jesus Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. We're covered in the blood of Christ. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing we can do to lose our salvation. So, woo, game on, right? I can do what I want. I'm sealed. I never, Jesus is not going to lose me. I'm in the palm of his hand. So we can't do that either. We can't go to that extent of it as well. Um, so, um, when we are in fellowship, this is a, a quote from a, from a guy named Kim Riddle, Riddlebarger. I may be thankful for the name Kogan. Kim Riddle, Riddlebarger. Uh, he says, when we are in fellowship with the light and we realize the heinousness of our sin before a holy God, salvation and justification is all the more sweeter. I think that's true. Once we're saved and we understand that our sinfulness is heinous in the eyes of the Lord, that salvation and justification is that much sweeter. So three things, I'm going to do my Southern Baptist three points. Uh, Three points this morning, three things this morning, reason, uh, redemption, and our reaction. So the first thing is is reason. Let's Let's read John 2 verses 1 through 6 together. My little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So the first thing is, is the reason that John's writing, and it's our sanctification. In verse one, uh, in, in the beginning of the letter, John provides uh, the reason he's writing. In the beginning of uh, a letter that he wrote in Second John, he gives reasons. Even in the Gospel of John, he gives reasons. John likes to give the reason to the people that reads his letters as to why he's writing them. Uh, in the gospel, he says, I'm writing that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, in his letters, he's writing so that our joy may be complete, so that we would love one another. Uh, he's writing to us because we know him and we're strong. We've overcome the evil one and the word of God abides within us. In 1 John 2, he writes, because you know the truth. And concerning those who are trying to deceive you, he's writing for instruction. And he also writes that you may know you have eternal life, that we have these assurances. So John loves giving those reasons as to why he's writing. But here he says in verse number one of chapter two, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, right? It's not that we will not sin. Believe it or not, John still sinned. Even at 90 years old, he realized his state apart from Jesus. He was a sinner as we are. Uh, and he was writing as that spiritual father, my little children, uh, he, he would be highly respected, um, even revered in some cases, because he's been in direct contact and walked with Jesus. Uh, that's a pretty amazing thing that he, he laid on Jesus' bosom. He saw all that Jesus did and the miracles that he did, and he walked with him. Uh, and and it, there towards the end of chapter one, we see that there's kind of an instruction. There's, there's corrections here. Uh, there's possibly even a rebuke there at the end of chapter one. In verse six, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I even hear sometimes today when uh, uh, they're talking about a, a politician that has misspoken or given an untruth or, or uh, misremembered, you know, something. They won't, they, I've, I have even heard them say, uh, I'm, I don't want to use the L word. Right, so now it's becoming like a like a profanity to call somebody a liar. But John doesn't doesn't shy away here. He's saying in this letter to the people that if you say you have fellowship and yet walk in darkness, you're a liar. He, he spells that out to us in verse eight. He says if we if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And in verse ten, there at the, that part of the letter, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. So this is some pretty serious uh, correction, instruction, and, and rebuke, I think. But then he comes behind that and he says, my little children. There's a cherished thing. This, I'm bringing this to you in love. Uh, so he's got this heart of love. So this is, this is an example of us coming to each other in those corrections, in those instructions, in our fellowship, even in our uh, 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 confessions to each other. We come in a heart of love and forgiveness. Uh, Last year, on our anniversary, kind of reminded me of the way that this letter would be received with John. Uh, I, I wrote a letter, and I, I, I stole it from another guy totally. I wrote a handwritten letter in cursive to you students, to my wife on our anniversary, 
uh, about how much I loved her, what a gift she was from the Lord. She's such a blessing to me and to others. She examples such a kind heart. Uh, and then I, at the end of the letter, I said, we're going to go to wings and things and get some wings hot and extra wet. So that's, you know, we're not high maintenance. So that's our anniversary. And uh, I, as I started going through the house, I'd walk into the bedroom and I, and I noticed that this letter was sitting on the dresser. And I, it was there from the time I wrote it, handwritten letter, uh, and it's still sitting there today. That's how special this letter was to her. So guys, let me tell you, if you get a chance, take out your pen and write a letter to your wife uh, in cursive <laughs> on a piece of paper and spell, spill your heart out to her and you'll cover a multitude of sins, brothers, I'm telling you. <laughs> So she still cherishes that letter. And I kind of think, man, when I saw that letter, even walking in this, this past week as I was studying for the truth, I said, man, how special that letter must have been to these people. The apostle John is writing this letter and he's walked with Jesus. So I'm sure it was very, very treasured. Um, and then he says, I'm writing to you that's so that you may not sin. Well, John understood the reason that we don't sin. The reason we don't sin is John knew truth. And through the Holy Spirit, we know truth. Do a little uh, uh, demonstration here. Um, before the foundation of the world, okay, we had Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And this is one of those hidden truths that we really don't. They were in perfect fellowship. They were in perfect unity and in relationship together. So outside of time. And I... <laughs> So they, they, came, they came up. God created everything. This is his plan. And that's a, that's a human word. Sometimes I think when John was given these, revel, these visions of revelation in the book of Revelation, all he had was human words. And I'm sure he struggled with how to describe this. But, but God, in that relationship, had a plan that would bring him glory. So he creates everything man in his image, and it's very good. Uh, in six days, he created it, and on the seventh day, he rested, which is a foreshadowing, right, of something. It's a plan. <clears throat> so then he allows the fall. And every heart is wicked in man continuously. And he, why did he do that? Why did he allow the fall when everything was so perfect and good? Well, we'll get there. Um, Noah was chosen by God. He destroyed everything in a flood, but yet he saved eight. He chose eight to save in the ark, which is an anti-type of what's to come. The ark saved eight that God chose. Okay, after that, everything's restored. People filled the earth. God chose Abraham. Abraham would be the father of many nations. He would have a land, God promised. Uh, and uh, it would be as the sands of the sea, his people. He also told Abraham that... Uh, Many of his people, all of his people actually would be in slavery in another country and they would be released from bondage. Another foreshadowing. So Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac was a son of promise. Abraham was told to sacrifice his son, his only son. A foreshadowing. God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. God changed his name to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. 12 sons, uh, from the, uh, the one was a tribe of Judah, 
from the tribe of Judah, would, it was promised would come the lion and the lamb. Lion from the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So one of Israel's sons' name was Joseph, sold into slavery. Remember, all this, this history, this plan, John knew, 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 and we know through the Holy Spirit. Joseph was sold into slavery, went to Egypt. Uh, there was a famine. He was in charge of the food, God's plan. And all of Israel and his people came to Egypt because of the famine. And Joseph was in charge of the food. Joseph brought his family there. They produced over the years to million, many, many, many people. And the Pharaoh of that day, after hundreds of years, was not in favor. Israel was not in favor. So he put them in bondage, in slavery, just as God had told Abraham. Well, through this came Moses, because Pharaoh saw this happening, was killing the firstborn. Moses was, was a baby. Mama floated him down the river. The Pharaoh's daughter got him. He was raised in Pharaoh's uh, uh, palace. Moses was chosen by God, once again, to continue his plan. He was given the Ten Commandments, which is the law. Moses was given the Levitical law, which was the blood sacrifices uh, that showed us the abomination of sin, the heinousness of sin. And also Moses was given instruction for the tabernacle where the presence of, of God was behind the veil. So Moses introduced these 10 plagues God did through Moses the 10 plagues to, eat, to uh, Pharaoh in Egypt. And each plague, as you'll research, and there's so much deep, deep history. The 10 plagues addressed each one of uh, Egypt's gods. A plague addressed each one of Jesus, uh, Egypt's gods. So Pharaoh finally lets the people go after the firstborn were, 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 were killed. Uh, we all know uh, what that situation was. The final plague was the death of the firstborn. Uh, God chose his people to be covered in a lamb's blood, you see where we're going here, right? And the Passover, the death passed over God's people through the blood of a lamb. And so they exited Egypt free. Uh, they had the tabernacle with the presence of Jesus. God gave the law to Mo, uh, Moses, which showed his perfect character. And he gave them the Levitical sacrifices, the blood sacrifices of bulls, goats, lambs, turtle doves, which could never erase sin. But we know who gets glorified through this plan. So they wander in the desert. They come to the promised land. Uh, Joshua, Moses is not allowed in. They come to the promised land. Joshua conquers. He distributes the land out to the 12 tribes of Israel. Through Judah uh, uh, is, came the King, King David, came King Solomon, who built a final temple gloriously. And through the, through the uh, tribe of Judah came Jesus. So, Jesus was fully God, fully man from the foundation of the world to cover the sins of all mankind that was wicked and fallen. Every, every uh, part of our hearts are wicked and fallen. Why did God allow the fall? God allowed the fall to bring him glory in his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life that we could never live and was risen on the, on the third day to overcome sin, overcome death, overcome lewdness, overcome lying, overcome deceit, overcome everything fallen in this world. It was in Jesus. So why did God do this? What, what, what is, why did he do this plan? It would be to bring him glory. And there are hidden truths yet to come that we will be with our king forever. It's written in scripture that these things that happened prophesied in scripture, there are things yet to come that will be fulfilled. And John knew this. 
We know this because of the Holy Spirit. John had the same Holy Spirit we have, and he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And that's the redemptive history that he had, the same redemptive history that we have. So my second point is redemption. The first is the reason for our salvation. The second is redemption, our advocate and propitiation. Uh, In verses uh, one and two, the second part of verse one and verse two. If anyone sins, John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. John uses advocate five times in his writings. Um, And he also calls Jesus Christ the righteous. Uh, Peter called Jesus the righteous as well um, in his writings because we we were saved with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless. So Peter had the same truths that John had. Uh, An advocate is a defender. He's a supporter, a spokesman. Uh, This is the same word that that, uh, Scripture uses for paraclete or the Holy Spirit being an uh, interceder, an advocate for us. In this case, it's the same word where Jesus is a mediator, an advocate, and uh, is, is used in the same way uh, between us and the Father that the Holy Spirit is. In Romans 8, verse 26 and 27, uh, Paul writes, and says, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's that same type of intercession that, that uh, John's writing here that, that uh, is used for Jesus. Um, when I came to uh, Georgia in 1975 from California, I had uh, dropped out of high school. I was a surfer. It, it was rad, man. Uh, stayed down at the beach, you know, and my parents was tr- were transferred here in 75, and I wasn't Georgia. Where is, is that like in Russia, man, you know? I was, so I stayed in California. I lasted about six months until I was in the fetal position on the floor begging to come home <clears throat> like Dorothy in Wizard of Oz. But uh, I finally got to Georgia in 1975, and I lived in my parents' house for about six months, and I wanted to get out. I wanted to get out. Now, look, I'm not condoning anything here. You know my life before Christ. I have a lot of stories. Uh, my life before Christ was a mess. But I came home to my parents' house to stay there for a little while. And my mother, I guess I was putting some socks in the drawer or whatever, and she calls out. She says, Patrick! <laughs> and I know that's a, that's a problem. That's a problem. Uh, so, yeah. And my little brother, he was six at the time, Chris. He heard it too, and of course, he knows that sound too. So he's, you know, right there with us. So I go into my bedroom, and my mother found this exotic plant that I had, and she was wanting to know, <laughs> she was wanting to know, what is this? And I said, I don't know, Mom. I haven't seen that before. My little brother, my little brother says, that's mine, Mama. The teacher gave that to me to draw up under a piece of paper. I thought, yeah, that's, he's being my advocate here, right? He's being my uh, 
set the the, uh, the go-between for me. Um, so he pleaded my case before my parents, and really, my mother didn't have anything to do. She did, she she couldn't not believe her youngest son, and I was just kind of rolling with it, as, you know, wicked as I was. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, well, that's cool, man. <laughs> that's uh, that's awesome. So I don't I don't know whatever happened to that. Uh, it was totally dropped, and uh, I was cleared. I was cleared. I kind of still felt a little guilty, right? Which we don't. And Jesus clears us. We don't have that guilt um, and our forgiveness. We're very, very grateful for forgiveness of Christ. I was, I was kind of grateful, but you know, it was just some six-year-old punk kid that came out saying something. And, well, I didn't even give thanks to God that came from heaven. You know, where'd that come from? But, uh, yeah, my brother, I love him like crazy, but, you know, he's, he wasn't sinless, Jesus as our advocate and our savior is sinless, right? Uh, he, Chris wasn't my eternal savior. As Jesus as my advocate, he's my eternal savior. I don't, I don't know if Christ, uh, Chris, Chris, Christ, I don't know if Chris would step in for me now at all for much, right? Because uh, uh, he has a life. Um, Chris's pleading only covered me, but Jesus is pleading to the Father co- covers all of the world, John says, and it, it's, it's every nation, every tongue, every tribe, not everybody in the world. We know because of the massive amount of scripture that claims uh, that only some will be saved. So this is not of when John says of the whole world uh, in the same manner as he walked, that he's going to look by this. We know that we know him. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. Uh, that uh, this is not uh, it's adequate for the whole world, but it's not, in verse 2, it's not, uh, it's sufficient for the whole world, but it's not of the whole world. It's just every nation, tongue, tribe. Those will be saved out of, out of the world. So um, John also calls him Jesus Christ, the righteous, and the propitiation, in verse number 2, for our sins. The propitiation is the payment, the satisfaction um, for our sins. John knows because he heard. He heard straight from Jesus. He knows the history, the the redemptive history in Christ from the foundation of the world, uh, that we we must be righteous and accepted by the Father. Jesus Christ is the righteous, and we must be righteous to be accepted by the Father. Um, So the propitiation, the satisfaction that Jesus was for the sin, the payment for sin, was because God is holy. God is holy, pure, and without sin, and he must be just, he must be just and punished sin. God has a wrath that was poured out on Christ on the cross. He has a wrath and an anger because of sin, because he is a holy God. Uh, it, sin must be punished, and, and the payment for sin must be satisfied. In Romans 1.18, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And in chapter 5, verse 9, Paul writes, much more than having now been justified by his blood, by Jesus' blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So on the cross, which was planned and foreordained before anything was created, Jesus would suffer the wrath that we deserve to suffer. That was always plan A. It's never been a plan B. And John knew that, and he knew that history that looked forward to Jesus, as we know. 
Um, Jesus satisfied God's righteous requirement. The law that was given to Moses, the Ten Commandments, we call them, uh, was, was uh, an example of God's perfection, his standard of holiness. We have to cover every single one of those commandments to be accepted by God. And there's no way anybody that's fallen from the fall can do it. That's why God gets the glory. He is the only one who could overcome sin and death. So that plan from the foundation of the world, fulfilled in Jesus, brings him all the glory. He satisfied that requirement. In Colossians, it says, we are dead in our trespasses. We're dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh. But God has made us alive in Jesus Christ. He's taken this requirement, this law, out of the way. And Paul writes that he nailed it to the cross. So the cross is the fulfillment of all things. The Levitical sacrifices are completed by the, by the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. The law is fulfilled by his perfect life. And his presence is within us now. Because in that temple that I talked about in Israel, that Solomon built, there was a large veil that covered the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, that only the high priest could go in once a year. When Jesus was crucified and he said, it is finished, that veil, it's a huge veil, a couple inches thick, I don't know know how tall it was, several feet, many feet, it tore from the top to the bottom, uh, giving access to the Holy of Holies, the presence of God through Jesus, which Paul even says, his flesh is the veil. In Christ is, is the access to uh, holy God. So he satisfied the righteous requirements, satisfied all of those requirements, and the righteousness of God is revealed, <clears throat> and the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. In, in uh, Romans 1.17, it says, in it, the gospel, in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So we have the righteousness of God revealed to overcome uh, the, the wrath of God, which uh, is falling upon the sons of disobedience. That's the beauty of the gospel and the plan from the foundation of the world. God made Jesus sin for us in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And that was before the foundation of the world. And we see that in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. If you want to write that down, Peter writes the same gospel, same Holy Spirit that John had, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. It's not your money. It's not your wealth. From your feudal way of life inherited from your fathers. It's not our traditions. It's not our religions. But with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ and this is where Peter, through the Holy Spirit, speaks about the found, before the foundation of the world. For he was foreknown, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he has appeared in these last times for our sake. This has always been God's plan outside of time to bring many to himself, to glorify him. That was the whole point of the fall. And the uh, final point is reaction. Third point, reaction which uh, should be our obedience in verses three through six. Uh, The evidence of our faith is a just life. In verse three, John writes, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Uh, We should be, through the Holy Spirit living in us, willing to keep his commandments. Uh, Philippians, it writes of focusing on things that are 
uh, true, things that are noble, things that are just, things that are pure. Meditate on things that are lovely, of good report. If there's anything virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, it says to meditate on these things. That's in Philippians 4, verse 8, written of by Paul. And uh, I think sometimes <laughs> I don't do that very well. I am being sanctified. There was... Uh, Part of me that gets so frustrated. Part of me, when you've been a long line of traffic on the road, 30, 40 cars, and somebody wants to come in from the Wendy's or from wherever, and, and you let them in. I let them in, right? I just say, yeah, come on in. And they waved. Thank you. I tell you, yeah, you're welcome. I want to a nice guy. So this was like always done that way. It's getting, I think, more and more prevalent today where you're in this line of cars and you, you let somebody in, and you, they don't wave at you. It's like, you're supposed to wave at me. Say, no, you're supposed to wave at me. I went up, <laughs> I, I get, I go up, I get in the other line, I go up to this person, and I just wave at them, you know? <laughs> you know, what's that all about? But Kathy's like, you know, she's slinking down in her chair. She said, Pat, you look like an idiot. Said, don't, you're embarrassing me. Don't do that. So obviously, guys, our wives are used for our sanctification, uh, probably the most uh, prevalent relationship that we use for our sanctification. So is that, you know, is that noble? Is that pure? Is that praiseworthy? Is that virtuous? No, it's not. Is it just? No, it's not just. <laughs> right? It's so frustrating, but my sanctification is so, you know, I, I don't deserve a wave, right? I, why do I deserve a wave? It's a fallen place. I should, expect, I should expect not to get a wave, and when I do, I should, woo! I should really <laughs> praise God, right? Um, so that's the obedience that, that, we, that we get as we grow more and more in our faith. Uh, true love is obedience. Right? We obey because we have the faith of God within us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, one of our favorite verses, by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So if you have the, the faith within you from God, the Holy Spirit is living within you, we have to obey. At some point, we will grow to more and more obedience. We have to if we are truly saved. If we're not, we must examine our hearts and really counsel in the word of God to see if these truths are really within us. Those truly born again have a new nature. Old self, new self. We've read about that before. We have a new nature. Our will changes. A lot of people like to have questions and theological discussions about free will. I don't like to use the word free will. I just like to use the word will. I have a will. I had a will before I was saved, and I have a will after I'm saved. Before I was saved is when I lived in California. Before I was saved is when I was in my bedroom and my mom was hollering out, Patrick! Before salvation. After salvation, my will has changed into what God desires in my life. Before salvation, my will was to do what would bring Pat glory. After I'm saved and I'm justified, the Holy Spirit is within me. My will changes to a will for what God desires. That's Free will, man, we can have those discussions. Love those discussions. But I just, I just call it a will. A will before salvation and a will after salvation. Yeah, so we do what God desires now. Um, in Romans 6, uh, verses 17 and 18, uh, 
a lot of these are in Romans, actually, great uh, doctrine in Romans. Uh, Paul, Paul writes, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, that will before salvation, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness to glorify him in your body and your spirit, which belong to him because you've been bought with the price, the precious blood of, of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So that's the first thing I speak of when somebody asks me, how do you know the gospel's true? A changed life, a changed life. Why would I, before I'm say, I was saved, leave the life that I had? I had... I was a fireman. I had a second job, my two days off. I was rolling in money. I was living a debauched life, thinking I was happy. But God, at that moment, at that moment, that change in my heart came. It's such an evidence of salvation in somebody's life. So when you are justified in the eyes of God, we are saved immediately, and there is a change in our lives. That is evidence. Do we have that evidence of salvation in our lives? Do we have that desire to obey the commands that the Lord has placed in our hearts to honor him because of what he's done from the foundation of the world in fulfillment in Christ? So John is instructing our brothers and sisters here that our lives must be an example of Jesus, our King. Those who claim to know Jesus and yet do not strive to obey his commandments are liars. The L word, verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So what do we post on social media? You know, how do, do we debate people back and forth? Are we exampling Jesus? There's even members of my family uh, <clears throat> that post things like, uh, if you don't share this with people, you're ashamed of God. Uh, or send this to 20 people and you will receive this benefit. And this, it's like, this is such an abomination but it's, it's not that, that true biblical knowledge of what the scriptures say. You know, we're not promised tomorrow. You know, our lives may be uh, in prison as Paul was to be, to be an example to save the jailers as, as he, he was in, in such a terrible place. So uh, do we strive to keep his word? And if we do strive to keep his word, we are perfected in verse 5. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. Does that mean we're perfect? No, that word means we are maturing, we are being sanctified, uh, and, and uh, Christ living in us abides in us. It says it abides in us. That's Christ living in us and us living in him. So we strive to keep his commandments, which are no longer burdensome because of this redemptive history that we know. We know that God has planned all this out. He's used people throughout the ages to bring him ultimate glory, and we're part of that. We are part of the knowledge of that. We have been chosen by our king to understand a fallen place and victory in Jesus. That's a great, great blessing for us. I, uh, I don't know where this quote came from. Um, and the only reason I remember it is because I have a record thing on my telephone. And I recorded it. And I think it fits this, this message today perfectly. Uh, it says, grateful law keeping is the saved sinner's response to received grace. Grateful law-keeping is the saved sinner's response to received grace. The rest of our lives are a way of saying thank you. If we are saved, we live a grateful life, 
and strive to honor the Lord because of what he's done for us throughout history. And I would say, praise God, we're living on this side of the cross and not having to do the law keeping, do the law keeping, do the law keeping, do the law keeping. We are so blessed to be on the side of the cross and Jesus covered all that for us. So praise God. So uh, to finish this up, John was uh, taking the gospel that he heard and he lived no matter his age. Will we do that? Will we do that? Will we take the gospel no matter our condition, no matter our situation, no matter our age? Are we being an example of Jesus who abides in us? Uh, Is it seen throughout our lives? Do we glorify God in what we're doing? Is he at the forefront of our hearts? And are we holding each other to account? Are we instructing each other? Are we correcting each other? Are we in repentance together and forgiveness together, right? Are we rebuking each other even? But can we do it in love? So the the giver is coming, uh, my little children. The receiver is receiving it as a child of the living God. Uh, Is there evidence of Christ abiding and living in us through the Holy Spirit? Is there that evidence? If not, we must examine our hearts if you are truly in the faith. So remember that we've been blessed with the greatest gift of all, justification before our Father. God chose us, and because we know him and his truth, we are compelled to be in fellowship and obey. And God gave us, uh, Jesus gave us a command uh, to obey, and it was to remember him by the elements. Uh, We'll take communion at the Last Supper where John was reclining on Jesus' bosom. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body. Now this is not Jesus' body. Uh, This is just a symbol of what he's done for us in his body, living the perfect life that we could never live. So when we take this, we remember Jesus and his work for us. So brothers and sisters, let's take the bread. Then after supper supper was ended, he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which will be poured out for many. And again, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So we take the bread as the bread of life, the perfect life that Jesus has lived, Jesus lived, and we take the juice as an example of his blood poured out for us and covering us as the Passover lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Brothers and sisters, let's drink. Let's pray. Father, you are all glorious. We have a glimpse of the glory that awaits us. We have truths, God, from your Holy Spirit that awaken us and give us a heart to understand and know you and to serve you and to honor you as our God. Thank you for this time together in your truth. We pray it instills deeply in us so that we uh, be a light to a fallen and dark place. We praise you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for salvation and We eagerly await the promises to come. 
because uh, we have been saved through his, his blood, his righteousness is, is, is showered upon us. We're humble in your name. Amen.